Thoughts on Peter Priest's podcast, the podcast where a gay veteran and his emotional support Canadian scream into the void about the Mormon Church. If you want to reach us, we are on Instagram at NotSoPeterPriestHood. And you can email us at NotSoPeterPriestHood at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy! Bye! As Dusty sneezes off. I'm like, I'm a mess today. It's so cold. It's finally starting to melt here, and I'm like, everything's itchy. Where are you at? I'm in Alberta, Canada. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. just got a bunch of snow in Utah, so. Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh, yeah. I, you guys have been dumped on this year. I have friends yeah. that have been posting, and I'm like, a lot of snow for Utah. It'll be good for our water, but, you know. And then yeah. time it's like, oh, okay. but it'll, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that. I'm like, get the snowpack in the mountains so we don't have a drought. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I know yeah. there's been several times that like you guys have gotten storms that we were supposed to get up here. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, oh, you can have it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Idaho's punished enough. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Idaho is punishment enough. I think that's what you meant. <laughs> Where are you in Idaho? Rexburg. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. How? Uh, how? Right? <laughs> how? I know. How, how are... That's like, that's like Mormon Saudi Arabia. I know. I know. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. It's like... Uh, I'm from here, but like um, I was gone for like a decade for the Navy and then moved back because I needed a reset and needed to be closer to family and stuff. And now I'm just like regretting that decision, but it's fine. (laughs) It's temporary. As long as you're okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know who you are. Don't get caught in it. (laughs) I and I love Sundays because I'll be like, I'll go out and there's like nobody there. Nobody, nobody around. I'm just like, oh, this is beautiful. Go to church, you Mormons. <laughs> and if you need, if you need a drink, you have to drive outside to go to like a Chili's. I think it's a Chili's. Yeah, there's like a, there's an Applebee's that's Applebee's. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, that's like right on the like basically outskirts of town, <laughs> and then like. Mm-hmm. There's one little liquor store that's in a gas station, and it closes at like nine on weekends, weekdays, and then like at midnight on weekends. So, yeah. So funny. Yeah. Yeah, if you can buy a lottery like, ticket, we can't. So. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, Cardston, like I grew up in Cardston, which is like Salt Lake of Canada, <laughs> but tiny. <laughs> and um. They like it's always been a dry town, but it was like a hundred year like bylaw and it ended. And so like they were like, oh, you guys can sell liquor. And the people of Cardston went <laughs> rabid. Like, we will not have liquor. <laughs> and town council was like, OK, calm down. <laughs> like, it was so funny. Well, like liquor licenses are hard to get in Rexburg, apparently. And then. um even Idaho Falls, which is like liberal, quote unquote, is um, like hard to get liquor licenses there. Mm-hmm. But they're getting a little better. So I don't know. Interesting. <sighs> yeah.
Anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> of living around Mormons. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, I don't. I don't want to anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> listeners, we have a special guest today. Uh, Shelby is here to tell us her story. And um, yeah, that's all I. Yeah, I'm awkward. See, I told you I'm awkward. <laughs> anyway. Um, it's an endearing awkward, though. <laughs> At least it's endearing. <laughs> for some people. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for coming on. I'm glad to, yeah. we're excited to hear your story and to talk with you. And um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Floor I is guess. Where to start? I was like trying to write out. Oh, it's okay. Tried to write out like my story, but there's just so much. But So I only got like maybe, I don't know, <laughs> a fourth of the way. So we're just going to, I'm just going to do my best. Um, I guess where should we start? Well, currently I live in Salt Lake City. And I am a teacher. I teach painting and drawing. And I am a mom of a almost two year old. So and then I also paint for a living. (laughs) Yeah. And I also do portraits and love my own stuff. And so that keeps me pretty busy. I have now four dogs. Um, (laughs) I have the I have the legal limit of my where I live. So I can't have any more. My heart is bigger than, you know, my house, but it's okay. <laughs> right. I know every time like the Humane Society posts like puppy pictures, I'm like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> There's just so many of them and they just, yeah. I don't know. It definitely like plays into my trauma of like, I don't want anyone to ever feel abandoned ever. And so, right. And they're I just, know. and they're just so innocent. They are. Um, so, um, yeah, when I married to my husband who, let's see, we've been married since 2019 so like right before the world ended for a little bit yeah Uh, (laughs) um but yeah so I mean I guess if you didn't know me it would seem like oh she's got like a pretty normal life and you know like oh like I doubt anything's really weirdly ever happened to her but um that's not true so (laughs) I guess uh I've been told I'm a survivor I still feel weird saying that but I try to remind myself it's I'd rather be a survivor than a victim, I guess. Um, Even though I was a victim of a lot of situations that happened, I, you know, through a lot of uh, therapy and also just getting older and like, you know, having a different perspective. I'm like, oh my gosh, none of that was my fault. Um, So to get started, I guess I want to say that um, I doubt my family will listen to this because it's probably considered anti-Mormon rhetoric, but, um, probably, (laughs) (laughs) but I will say, I won't use my siblings names. I'll just say, I won't even say their gender. I'll just say they, them. Um, cause they're, I'm one of five and their story is theirs to tell. It's not mine. I have like bits and pieces of their story and like things I've seen through my lenses and what they've told me, but I'm going to try my best to not like, tell their story if that makes sense um and then yeah I won't say like my family's names just for you know out of respect or whatever and um yeah I just wanted to mention that and also I want to disclose that like what I'm going to share is like my truth and what happened to me and 
things that occurred in my life. There may be things that are shared, which again, I doubt, like I said, I doubt my family will listen, that may be upset that I share. Um, but I've something I've learned, which I'll talk about more as we go. Um, there is not really any benefit of like hiding things and like not um, being authentic to like your story and yourself. Um, I've spent too many years of my life feeling I had to hide things that happened to me, uh, hide things that happened to my family. And I'm just not interested in that anymore. I just, it's not healthy. So if, you know, I'm not in control of how anyone reacts to what I share here. So that's that. Um, yeah, that's so true. It's it's your story and your your truth is is valid and is yours. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's really a mm-hmm. lovely way to put that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think it's important to kind of talk about my grandparents because there's a lot of generational trauma that I'm hoping to like kind of stop with me and to give kind of a better perspective of some of the events that end up happening. So. My mom was a convert to the church, and so was her mom. They um, they ended up moving to Utah, I think, in, like, must have been the 80s, because there was an arson, like, their house burned down. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> and my <laughs> nana had just joined the church, and she was like, Utah sounds like a good place. They were in New York at the time. And the background of that is my grandfather... Um, he was a product of like immigration from Ireland to New York where they were treated really terribly and they didn't really have yeah. much of an option for jobs except for maybe to be in the mob um, yeah. or do something kind of more uh, like hard labor. And he wasn't really able to do hard labor because he, when they, he was, I don't know, he must've been like still a baby. He had polio. And so he spent the first 12 years of his life in the hospital and, back then they would just like break your legs pretty much every day um he went through just severe torture and so they threw him back into public school once he was 12 and that was a nightmare for him I'm sure but he ended up kind of not he didn't really get to cope or process any of those things so similar to his you know family and his probably his father he ended up turning to drinking and becoming part of the Irish mob in New York so Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my Nana and him had nine children. My mom was the youngest. And so as he started kind of declining with his alcoholism and his bipolar and just a bunch of depression, he wasn't really around and wasn't very uh, a good dad when he was um, in his active addictions. So um, when the arson happened, my Nana was just like, I'm done. I'm going. <laughs> Because I think some, it was somehow related to him and the mob. I don't know if he started it. She never disclosed it to me if he started it or if it was someone else. Um, but she ended up moving to Utah with my mom because they were, you know, the last ones, like, at home together. Everybody else was gone. They didn't know where they were going. They just, like, had their car and, like, a map that kind of relatively told them where to go. Didn't oh, have any wow. plans. And so... <laughs> My mom didn't actually end up getting, like, baptized or anything until she was in Utah, I'm pretty sure. Um, I I think she was, like, a teenager, maybe 17 or so. She was, you know. My Nana was very open-minded, and she wasn't, like, an Orthodox Mormon, per se. She grew up Catholic, 
and she had a lot of questions about like what was going on at the Catholic church and ironically, you know, what they were doing with their money, which, you know, Mormon church has issues with that too. Um, <laughs> as we all know now. Um, and you know, she was technically a single mom. So she was kind of vulnerable. I feel like to hearing like the messages for the missionaries and stuff, but she never forced it on her kids. Like she would have them go to church and stuff and help sometimes, but she was never like, you have to do this. You have to serve a mission. You have to. And so, you know, a lot of my mom's siblings didn't stay in it. And some of them did. Um, and my mom, you know, was the, probably the most impressionable being like the youngest didn't really have like a relationship with her dad. Um, so I think like that kind of affected things, but anyway, so that's kind of a briefish version of my mom's side. Um, oh, and my Nana too. The reason she had a bunch of kids is because, you know, the Catholic church didn't allow, um, contraception yeah. as soon as you said nine kids I was like they must be Catholic <laughs> yeah no contraception and then also I think because she was an only child she kind of craved having a family she was kind of abandoned by her family she was adopted but um her biological parents were not allowed to like have her because they had her out of wedlock so her biological dad was Russian Jewish and he got sent back to Russia and then they never found him again, which there was suspicion he might've died in the Holocaust. Um, and then her mom was Irish Catholic, but the Catholic church made her give up my Nana. So, and then there was issues when my Nana was with her adoptive parents, like the adoptive dad left her and then the adoptive mom kind of checked out and things like that. But, um, so I think my Nana carried a lot of pain, but she was trying to like make the best of what she could. And she loved having like all her kids and she just wanted to find some kind of like peace and reasoning for, you know, life and things like that. So, so she, you know, she held pretty strong to the church even till her death, but she never forced it on anybody. So that was the family I was around growing up. My dad's family, I never met until about 20, 2004 um but they are like pretty close to orthodox mormon even though they were in the southeast of the united states um if you're not familiar the southeast is like the bible belt and any religion down there basically kind of gets i don't know it the bible belt mentality trickles into every single religion not even just mormonism it trickles into judaism it trickles into you know, um, Islam at different Christianities and Baptists where everything's really extreme and everything's very like my church is better than your church, you know, fire and brimstone kind of stuff, which I had no idea existed until later on in my life. But that's where my dad grew up and that's how he was. Cause his mom, um, was like the first generation of Mormons in the family. And then she married my grandfather and he converted. So they were kind of more, and I think this happens generally. Um, like when you have somebody that converts to the church and then they like have a family and stuff, they kind of are very by the book or very like, or at least try to be with what they know. Um, and the culture of like the Bible belt definitely affected that. So my dad's one of seven kids. He was like in the middle um, 
And they were kind of a lot of cousins in your family. There's a lot of kids. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, you know, they just kind of were like, this is your checklist of what you do. Like you're going to go to school. You're going to do church stuff, activities. You're going to go, you're going on a mission. There was never like, you can do this. It was like, no, this is what you're doing. And so they had like a very just like structured expectation like for every single one of them this is how you're gonna live your life so my dad did the whole mission thing and you know I think he was in Canada actually I want to say it was like Toronto I think yeah and he came back and he moved out to Utah because that's what everybody in the you know that age group and within the 80s and 70s did um because your next step was to find a wife of course right um yeah so my mom was like I want to say I want to say she's like four or five years younger I'd have to do the math I think she was born in 66 and my dad was born in like 62 oh so maybe four years okay and so my mom didn't not go to BYU she was not interested um nor did she have like the funds so she did a lot of different like community college stuff and she was kind of she was into the arts which is where I guess I kind of got my interest in arts from, but she was also, she did a lot of like nurses, nursing assisting. And then she decided she wanted to try out insurance is what my dad decided he was doing. And they, at this point, they hadn't met until they got into the, like the same job, I guess. And my mom was engaged at the time to someone else. And, uh, (laughs) And I guess she was having doubts about it or something. And my dad decided to kind of back then the version of slipping into your DMs, but without that, um, being like, I don't think you should marry them. I think you should date me. And they were married <laughs> in like three months, something like that. It was like, ins- it's like insane. But that was the yeah. expectation was like, you know, yeah. you get married as fast as you can. Because you don't, don't want, want Satan to have tempt you. God forbid, <laughs> you know, have heavy pecking or, or whatever, which <laughs> I, I bet they totally did. Like, now that I realistically look at it, I'm like, yeah, they probably did. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, and so my dad kind of wooed her and all this stuff. Like, I even have different um, things my Nana would, like, type up. Because my, my Nana was a big journaler. And so she... You know, my her and my mom were super close, so she like wrote all these things that my dad would like be outside her window singing to her and all this stuff, like really just trying really oh my hard. God. That's so adorable or creepy. I'm not sure. Which. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's, well, a, there's a thin line there. <laughs> the, the thing is, I mean, she was really beautiful and like you know, um, I think that's kind of why oh, it became yeah. that way. Um, I really don't think they knew each other at all, um, based on how things go. But um, anyway, they got married, and it was really hard on my mom because she never talked about it. And I didn't learn this until maybe a few years ago, but I always had suspicions. Uh, She was sexually abused as a child. I don't know by who. Um, I have kind of a suspicion that it was like maybe somebody in my dad her dad's like gang or mob or um somebody within the neighborhood it was very latch like latchkey time period and um, yeah. especially in like, new york like the way that 
they talk about their childhood. I'm like, where was Nana? Like, what were y'all doing? Um, <laughs> she had where to work. Your mother, <laughs> like, yeah, like she had to work still, and like nine kids. So I mean, who knows what was going on? So um, yeah, and, and that, probably the older ones were supposed to watch the younger ones, and of course they're gonna mm-hmm. go do their own thing, and yeah, right. Oh, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, and so I would imagine, and this is only like what I kind of can guess, but I would imagine based on like how things were back then, there was a lot of shame, probably around like oh my gosh this happened to me and you're not really allowed to talk about it she didn't talk about it to anybody um she only talked about it once to like her best friend who I still have contact with um and I think she might have oh go ahead that's the thing is um like uh, sexual abuse like child abuse especially is is just recently like in the last like 20 years has become more of a something we can talk about up front um exactly but back in that day like it was like oh it was more you're gonna be victim blaming and like also just like just don't talk about it like right and i had to wonder too if like some of the rhetoric within the church and how they talked about sexual purity affected her i I was reading i was reading like some of those pamphlets that they give out like in this like there was somebody who was able to upload one from like the 70s and 80s and it's just absurd. It's just so um, like misogynistic and yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, so it's I would like, imagine makes that makes me understand her. why my parents were married at nineteen, like just yeah, barely exactly. nineteen. <laughs> exactly. And so I yeah. just I imagine that was hard for her, and she came from such a broken family, and she she's marrying into this super orthodox uh, family. And um, the way my father would talk about it sometimes, he'd be like, "Oh." we went on our honeymoon and she just cried and I don't know why she cried. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, mm, well, yeah. you know, I, I haven't ta- discussed, you know, what I believe with him, but like, I, there's just bits and pieces of stories he'd tell me and like things like that where I'm like, how did you not see, you know, something obviously happened to her. And, yeah. and so she was, going through that she was younger than my dad she had always been with my mom so I think there was her mom sorry um so I think she had a lot of separation anxiety from that too and getting married was really hard for her um and she got pregnant of course not too shortly after with my oldest sibling and her and my dad just didn't emotionally like connect like at all like he he didn't understand her she had a hard time understanding him um, and I love my dad and I say this with like just honesty is that he's very emotionally not aware of other people like he he's he's very in tune with himself um, but <laughs> with other people he has a hard time unless unless it has happened to him as well or he can relate he can't he has like a really hard time like understanding other people's emotions so it just created like a big mess and um they actually divorced and separated before I was born but then got back together um when my oldest after my oldest sibling was born so there was a period of time where like it was my mom and my oldest sibling away from my dad and then for whatever reason they got back together and I think there was a lot probably of pressure in that too because you know my her dad and mom were separated and divorced and she didn't want to 
probably have that happen to her. There's there's probably just so many cultural and societal kind of pressures. Yeah. Like when I yeah. got divorced, the church was very, very loud about telling me that I had made a mistake and that mm-hmm. I should like who else was going to want me? I was tainted goods. All right. So I bet there was a yeah, lot. Exactly. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure. I bet on your mom to go mm-hmm. back to her husband and make their family work and yeah it's, oh ugh. yeah for sure because I mean she didn't have she had like my nana to talk to but then like if she probably if she ever went to a bishop or something you know that's probably what they said like oh yeah 99 99% of the time that's what they say like it's always the wife's fault that we're mm-hmm. we're, we're causing the problems and we need to be a good wife right like ugh. yeah and to like kind of give you an like a of like kind of a picture of who my mom was she was very independent she was a feminist she um was like a powerhouse she wasn't like this meek and me bull like I'll do whatever someone says like that just was not who she was like she was a tough like New York bred woman and that's what I never understood like why her and my dad got together because the cultures were just so different because in the south it was like oh you're you know women are homemakers and this and they don't speak too much and they don't especially during that time you know like my grandmother, my dad's mom, literally talked like she was from Gone with the Wind. Like, like crazy. Like I, it was like a unreal. Like I still think about it. And I'm like, that's just you don't hear that accent very much anymore. Um, no. Yeah, but anyway, so don't. she was a powerhouse. Like she wasn't, and I think that was part of their problem too, is because I'm sure my dad was like trying to exercise his priesthood on her, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And like I'm the man, and you know, she was not about that. Yeah, it probably caused a lot of, like, conflict in their marriage and their just their daily life together. Daily life. Kind of butting yeah. heads all the time. And, if, and, and you, you have those things, but even just, like, even if you have, like, a pretty good relationship, like, in marriage, like, things always come up. So you have to, like, mm-hmm. there's the normal stuff that you go through as a married couple or, or a partnership, but then you add all these other things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they definitely struggled I, a lot. <laughs> well, I feel like you're never. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jake. Well, in the constant messaging from the church that the like in the temple, how they talk about deferring to the husband always, and like that's just mm-hmm. that's even bleeds into like you know the actual obviously the doctrine, but like at church mm-hmm. every Sunday they're probably they're told you know yep, giving yep. this messaging even if implicitly that the woman is like lower always the lower. husband's always yeah. and yeah oh yeah and for somebody and that's, that's a powerhouse like that that's hard yeah. to It'd be hard yeah and we're never told like i feel like we were never told in the church like it was you grow up and you get married and you go to the temple and it's happily ever after like nobody had the conversation of like marriage no. is hard like you have no. to work at it you know i mean they even like, tell you oh don't worry about money just have kids and the church will take care of you yeah. It'll be fine. It'll there's, work out. And that's never, such a uh, lie. <laughs> yeah. Why was there never a young women's lesson on like, here's how to balance a budget so your family doesn't get kicked well, out of your apartment? Well, because you're too busy being brought to <laughs> dress stores to try on, you know, wedding dresses. Wedding dresses. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. There was an activity oh. like that when I was younger. But. Yeah, we all brought our mom's <laughs> wedding dresses to try on. And I couldn't wear my mom's because at 16, I could not fit into a size zero dress. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. But anyway, so she and, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like she was just not she never fit into the church. Like I like I remember 
you know, this is kind of maybe skipping ahead, but like even growing up, like I didn't go to church every Sunday at all. Like, like, yeah, we were Mormon, but it was not the way my mom went about things was not the way that my dad would have. Cause at some point when they got back together, my dad had to have bowed down to a certain level, like, because otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> otherwise I don't think they would have gotten remarried. I mean, there's definitely problems and like power struggles, but like he had to have kind of a little bit like pushed down some of his like orthodox upbringing a little bit. Um, so they got back together somehow and they had my second oldest sibling. And then I was born in 94, um, in Murray, Utah. They were, like, before that, living in, like, California and doing, you know, all the insurance stuff back then. Like, my dad didn't even have to finish school to get a good job. It's just, like, a whole different world. Um, and so I'm the third out of five kids. So I was the first girl, and that was exciting for my mom. Not that she didn't love, you know, the other, you know, my other siblings, but it was exciting for her which maybe that gave away information, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had, she had my two other siblings kind of maybe, I think the sibling after me, we were almost like three or four years apart. So I don't think my last two siblings were as like kind of coordinated. Um, but, you know, wouldn't trade them for anything. But there were she was getting more physically ill like after I was born. Uh, so she didn't have health care growing up, didn't have access to dental care, any of that stuff. And so she had like a lot of problems with her mouth and they, instead of taking teeth out, they would like fill it in with different things that they're experimenting oh, yeah. with back then. Mm -hmm. um, and then something happened where whatever bacteria or virus that was maybe in one of the teeth um, got into her bloodstream and just started like affecting all sorts of stuff like kidneys and oh, her liver and her brain. And yeah. And so it was oh. too late by the time they figured out like what was going on. But she ended up, I remember as a kid, <laughs> I'd be like, I don't want to brush my teeth. And she would like, here, and she had like no teeth all on the right side of her mouth. And she'd be like, here, do you want this, Dad? <laughs> oh, my and like, goodness. And I'm like, okay. You're like, so, I'll brush my teeth twice. <laughs> yeah, literally, I did. She was like, trust me, you need to brush your teeth. Cause, and she was always good about that. Like, she never was with a parent that was, you do this because I say so. She would explain, like, why we brush our teeth, why we wash yeah. our hands, why we do things. Versus my dad was like, you just do it because I say, just respect and, you know, whatever. And no, she was very like, she'd be stern about it, but she'd be like, this is why we do things. And I appreciated that um, for sure. She wanted everything for us to be better than what she had. And if that meant her having like a really um, like difficult marriage, that's kind of what she was doing. Like she just, she, she wanted, wanted us your, to have it better. To be your dad and yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. What a good one. But, oh. but it's it's tough, though, because I think as she tried that, you know, and her health got worse. And, you know, he wasn't the most sensitive. You know, he always provided like my dad was a very hard worker. We always had like enough money. We were definitely, you know, well off back then. Um, but he wasn't meeting her emotional needs at all whatsoever. And so she's, you know, 
battling her own inner demons and her own traumas. She's trying to be a mom to five children and a difficult marriage. It just, and being physically sick was really hard for her. Um, so after my second youngest sibling, that's when her health started having a toll. Cause I, I don't, I don't think, and I'd have to like really look, dig or like look at the records I have access to, but they think they recommended her not having more children. Um, but it just kind of happened. So I guess sometimes they were okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so she, her health started declining more physically. And now through my own life experience, I, I have this empathy and understanding of when you're physically having a really hard time or you're in extreme pain, it can make your mental health, depression, anxiety, whatever, heighten, oh, yeah. like, way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, she would have a lot of hard time sleeping because of the pain. Um, it's I don't have, like, proof of this, but I do remember for taking like a lot of like pills or pain medication. So I think she ended up developing some kind of addiction to pain medicine. Um, Just trying to cope with life, probably not even from a, I, I want the pills. Yeah. Coping with life and cope and her pain. Uh, She, she had to go through a lot of different surgeries on like her organs and things like that. Um, And she, she felt a lot of guilt. Like, I mean, I kind of got a little bit parentified as a child, maybe not a little bit, maybe I just was, um, her, my dad fought a lot. And, uh, after my youngest sibling was born, everything just got like way worse. Um, my dad wasn't even living in the home. He was like living on a hotel somewhere, like maybe 15 minutes from where we lived and working and wasn't around very much. Um, and, uh, or wherever we were living at the time, he just wasn't around. And then we'd have like my Nana around or a nanny or somebody like that. Like when I think about my childhood, I I don't remember like actively attending church every Sunday, like at least that part of my childhood or like feeling any kind of pressure that way. And I, my parents were like my mom and my Nana and then like her her siblings sometimes would come and help too, like pretty often the ones that live by my dad. I didn't even know who he was. Like I didn't even really get to know him. Like he, he, I have some memories of him when I'm like really little, but I feel like after I hit like a certain stage where I wasn't like as cute or something like, and just everything that was going on, like I just wasn't the, the um, focus. <laughs> like, Which is so sad because that's what time. you're, <laughs> Yeah, like your mom wanted, she had that life and she wanted to get something better for you. And then she ended mm-hmm. up having the same, the same life, the same relationship. Oh, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she really tried, like there was, before I was born, they tried living in Georgia around my dad's family and my mom just hated living there. I'll tell you why I hated living there later on, but we had a lot of the same reasons, uh, <laughs> just not our place. Um and my dad's family like didn't accept her. Like she was, like I said, a powerhouse. She was independent. She was a feminist. She had a mind of her own. She never looked on. She was no bullshit person. Like, and they were not used to that. You know, well, her being from the East too would be uh-huh. like, Oh, those Yankees. Like, yeah. She's a Yankee, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 
and my grandmother just like her did not get along at all whatsoever like they just just didn't get along at all like my mom didn't like her telling her what to do or you should breastfeed or do this or do that and you know just trying to be way too like crossing way too many boundaries with her and so that time in Georgia did not last very long for her and I think also like the orthodoxy and just how judgmental a lot of them are um maybe were maybe some of them are better now um was really hard for her I'm curious um if maybe even you maybe you don't have an answer for this but I um like somebody and maybe she just didn't have the out you know like the like a avenue out of the church but like somebody you would think that and especially back in that day like it's it was harder to leave the church once you're in like it's not as Mm -hmm. it's very taboo um and she'd already divorced and then you know so i'm Mm -hmm. sure there was a lot of that stigma in there but what what made her stay with the the mormons you know i i have theories but um i honestly think which i guess i'll get to but um because there was things her and i talked about and i was a kid but she had no one else to talk to you know, so she turned um, to you as yeah, her, like, she turned confidant. to me, yeah. turned to me and like the oldest boy in our family, you know, because we were kind of like her protectors, like her, you know, um, yeah. and we just, I just, I don't know, she was, I always felt like connected to her, not just because she was my mom, but like we were very similar and she just understood me in a way like I didn't have to like explain anything and she accepted me like 100% for who I was like um ADHD and all um <laughs> there was actually a a teacher wrote a note home that was really passive aggressive i must have been like second grade or third grade and was saying how i daydream too much and she like was she had like fire in her eyes and i remember being like mom are you mad at are you mad at me and she's like no honey all right, you're going to take this note. You're going to put it back in your backpack. And then we're going to go to school. I'm going to go with you to school tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And she was still going through up and down of not being able to get out of bed. And, oh. and sometimes she would be. But she got, she um, put on her her Levi's and her leather jacket and her <laughs> uh, her boots. She she did a lot of uh, motorcycle riding growing up. I think she always wanted to get to get one again. But anyway. That was her aesthetic, but she she got herself all already. You know, I hadn't seen her in makeup in who knows how long. And I was like, this can't be good. But I knew her. I was like, okay, this is this might not be good. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm just gonna embrace myself. And so we go into the classroom. There's other kids around. Still, like people are bringing their kids in, or or back then, like I would walk in feet of snow to school. I just had snow pants on. Like kids are just coming in and out. And she's not even, she didn't even knock. She didn't even stop walking. Just, we go in there and she just walks right up to the teacher's desk and she picks up the apple on the desk, bites it, sits it down. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh. And she's like, so do you want to tell me why you think my daughter daydreams too much? And I was like, (gasps) oh no. I was like, oh no. I appreciate it now. Back then I was embarrassed, but. Of course, right. I like I I hid behind her and I was like, oh my gosh, and like the teacher's trying to come up with some kind of oh well she's not paying attention and my she's like let me see her reading scores let me see her these things and I I was doing great in all the things 
The only thing I kind of struggled with was math sometimes, but that's because I was also at the time I would miss a lot of school to take care of her. But I was always yeah. like, I was always still like, I wasn't behind or anything really. Um, but she just, <laughs> she's like, well, next time you feel like you have a problem with how my child learns, then I want you to actually call me instead of writing this passive aggressive note. And like, she was oh. just roast, just roasted her alive. Like, <laughs> like Amazing. I don't remember everything every single thing she said but she had a way of like she had a very sharp tongue when she wanted to and this is just like one of the many times she's done this but (laughs) but um anyway so and that was when she was still like that was when she was sick so imagine when she wasn't sick who she was you know she was never one to like not stand up for what's right um she would carry like 20 baby hats in her bag and if she saw a baby without a hat on the winter she'd give it to the people or like socks or if we'd go to mcdonald's and she saw like a family that was homeless there she'd buy them all meals and ask them their life story and like give them resources like she was a very like she had a huge heart but she also like she was a warrior she wasn't messing around um when people weren't doing what she thought was right so (laughs) it didn't make her a lot of friends in church um so um yeah that she didn't just sit down and share casserole recipes and keep quiet no, my she, goodness no she hated relief society she oh i bet <laughs> she was like this is she even thought it was stupid and she told me that she thought it was stupid that she couldn't wear pants yeah like she was so she was so ahead of things but so like when my dad wasn't in the home like we never really went like it just wasn't her interest to her and i i honestly think she stayed in it because she didn't want to disappoint her mom because my mom was like into like um what do you call it like she never had tarot cards or anything like that but she was into like spirituality in a different way than the church would definitely approve of like (laughs) she she was very like empathic and sensitive and so she was very like into well, and also kind of like the um, carrying the baby hats and like helping the homeless, like that's actually like an actual Christian, like that's what mm-hmm. a true mm-hmm. Christian should do. And you don't see Mormons the act the uh, no. they aren't doing that. No, and and like I mean, just you know, my dad would complain like, "Look what she's doing with my money," you know. Um, <laughs> but like she just she just had a giving heart she grew up poor and she didn't see a reason to like not help with people with what they you know had um so uh yeah she didn't really do well in early society or any of that stuff if she had questions no one knew how to answer it um (laughs) she would go with like my nana went with her but like my nana just had to brace herself and know like there was going to be some kind of questions or some kind of like somebody being like um say something wrong my mom's like actually that's not really you know right thing to say you know like she my mom really my mom really didn't like which this resonates with me today um she doesn't she didn't like when people would say the one plan of happiness this is the only way you can feel joy because she's like I remember her being like that doesn't make sense like because I have all this family that are not in the church that are good people and like so I'm supposed to believe God's not going to let them experience joy and happiness like so when people would say that at church, it was, you know, oh. not very good. Not very good. Um, and it just makes me wonder, like, I don't know. 
I don't think I don't know how my dad coped with that because that just goes against like everything he grew up with. But I mean, I would have to ask him. But uh, I just that's a hard conversation. But um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I'm trying to think of so in like ninety. So when my youngest sibling was still a baby, like barely a baby. So this must have been um like ninety nine two thousand. Um, we ended up moving to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho out of nowhere, which is so random because all our family was in Utah. And I think part of it was my mom wanted a kind of a change of scenery. She kind of had like a, I don't know, she was the glue of her family, but also it was like sometimes toxic for her. She like, not with my Nana per se, but like with siblings and I think she had this idea, which I think is normal for people like, well, maybe if I have a change or I change something like other problems will go away. So we moved a lot as a kid and that was like one of our biggest moves. Um, um, and then when nine 11 happened, it freaked her out. Um, you know, being from New York and yeah, I was going to say stuff to home, like, Oh, uh-huh. and it really messed with her. And then shortly after that, we moved back to Utah. Um, but what I didn't know at the time as a kid, and I don't know how aware y'all are of the history of kind of what was going on in Utah at the time. You probably have a little bit of knowledge if you've read anything about the SEC letter. Um, but Utah was going through a lot of um, cases of Ponzi schemes and like fraud all in the 90s. There's a huge, an interesting article on the Salt Lake Tribune about how most of these cases happened within the Mormon church because you would trust whoever was, you know, oh, they're Mormon. They're like in the church and they would use it as an opportunity to like, to, you know, market whatever they were trying to sell you. Um, and then uh, again, this is from my understanding. I'm not responsible for how people may react to what I share. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, my dad was caught up in one of those Ponzi schemes. Uh, he was, I think, a victim of one and then was trying to make up the money he lost from that by kind of doing the same thing, um, something on the lines of that. Nobody had a gun to his head saying he had to do this. You know, it was his choice to do these things. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, I think because the way he grew up, because they grew up poor, like there was always this mentality of like, never enough money, never enough money, never enough money. So he was, he fell victim to those, like what was going on back then. Cause and it's that uh, get really rich really quickly. Mm-hmm. that really feeds into that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you know, him and like his siblings, you know, some of them were like competitive with like where they were at in life. And there's just a lot of weird, like dynamics with that. So I think he fell into that trap really easily. His wife was sick a lot, had a lot of hospital bills, like, oh, this could be, you know, this could be something. And then, you know, and then a sibling buys a new house. So then they, yeah, Yeah, I think that's a pretty common thing. Very peacocking. Like the whole family just does a lot of peacocking. Um, Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I think that's very common as that generation, because I feel like my dad and his siblings have had some of those like, mm-hmm. well, so-and-so bought a new car. Well, so-and-so is getting a boat. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's very, it's like, yeah, it's just, nobody cares. cares. Nobody <laughs> like, cares. And like, unless you're taking you know, me on your boat, I don't care. <laughs> and like, I even looked it up 
like one time I was like, what was, okay, the value of like, you know, some of our houses back then, what would they have been valued now? Like how much money we had and how much it's worth now. Like my dad, was, we were really well off. Like, I'm like, what was he, you know, so worried about? Like, like what, you know, it's just that like, like scarcity mentality or something within him. I think he still struggles with today. Um, anyway, so he got <laughs> caught up in that. So in around 99, actually, is when the law started catching up with him. So I think that's the reason we moved a lot. I think that's the reason we didn't own a house after a little while. I think that's... Um, there was even one time in school, like, prior to moving to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where I was brought into an office and there was, like... I think now that I know, I think it was, like, an FBI agent and then, like, the school counselor. And... They were asking me all sorts of questions about, like, did we speak any different languages at home? And oh I'm, like, God. innocent. I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad speaks Spanish because he went on a mission. And they're, like, asking oh. me what words I can say and and <laughs> and other stuff like that. I think they were trying to see if we were, like, Russian spies. Like, oh, my cause God. Because they, they, they pulled other siblings, too. Like, and I remember yeah. talking to one of my siblings about this. Like, hey, do you remember this? Like oh yeah like I remember that that's so weird I think they were trying to like see if we were Russian spies or like what dad was doing with the law and I'm like that makes way more sense but as a kid I'm like this is kind of weird like whatever right and then I go home and my dad gets like really upset at me and I didn't know why because he was home at the time for whatever reason and I was like I don't like why would you be upset like you know, you speak, you just speak this nice man you, just wanted to know do? about our family. We're just cool. <laughs> right? Because like, you're a nice. kid. I, I got like a Smuckers and all stuff. And um, yeah, it was it, that that one I kind of feel like as a kid, even as a child, like because I was slowly getting parentified. Like I was having I stayed home to take care of my mom and my mom would just like kind of uh, tell me things that she probably shouldn't have. And I, I kind of got a sense something was wrong. And uh, and that was before we moved to Coeur d'Alene. But then now we skip forward a little bit. We moved back to Utah. And um, my dad's, like, not in the house. We have, like, nannies or my nana over. And my mom and I were just, like, we watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was, like, our thing. Like, we just loved it and charmed. And we talked about, like, our Irish heritage. That's what, we're, you know, we were just, she was so passionate about and she passed that on to me. And somehow I got into like the occult a little bit without saying the occult. Uh, <laughs> we would talk about like spirits and things like that. Um, and uh, she would just have like different experiences with that and kind of talk about it. And we would like paint things and she would kind of get senses of what it was supposed to mean. And, and I don't know. Some people might say it's because she was losing her mind at that point. Um, but I don't think she lost her mind at that point quite yet. Um, I think she was really depressed, but she wasn't She wasn't gone yet. Um, and uh, she was telling me how when I was little that I told her that I saw her dad or, or I was describing somebody, like an old man, and she was really worried there was an old man in my room. And, uh, <laughs> and I guess, long story short, she told me that I was, like, describing her dad and she thinks I might have, like, saw his spirit or something. I don't really remember this. Oh, I kind of wow. do, but I kind of don't. So she kind of got into that stuff, which is totally not against, it's totally against Mormon doctrine. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we would just, we would just like talk about different things like that. And, um, and I want to say 
it was before my baptism, which would have been like 2001. She died in 2003. Um, she, uh, and she really like questioned, like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Like, and, and she was also kind of ahead of her time. She never let us sit in a bishop's office without her ever. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Like I remember doing my interview with her in the room. Um, I never, I never had that experience of sitting in like a random dude's office asking me about my like purity or any of that stuff um, when she was alive. And so (laughs) my baptism uh, interview was very like candid and she, you know, she let me talk, but she would also ask me like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, and a part of her, I wonder if she didn't want me to. Um, But I think again, because of the, her marriage and what she was trying to build and what she thought was, you know, a good way to raise us or whatever. Um, kind of, you know, she, you know, she had us do those interviews and things like that. Um, so it was kind of around where I got baptized, I want to say. And it was, it was, I remember like thinking it was going to be this really big deal and it really wasn't. And uh, I told her that actually, I was like, I thought I was going to feel like, like magic and I, whatever. I think I said oh, magic. I was like, I was going to feel like magic, but I just, woke, I got out of the water and it's cold. I, was just, <laughs> I didn't that feel That is anything. what I most remember about my baptism is shivering in the stake center and just being like, I just want a towel. <laughs> and I don't think she let my dad baptize me either. So that's how bad they were off at the moment. And uh, like there were certain families she didn't like know my baptism. She was having a lot of falling outs with different family. I think a lot of it related to like my dad being in trouble and like them trying to help her and then her not knowing how to help herself, but, like kind of getting when you're in depression, if you've ever experienced this, um, you kind of get like clouded judgment a little bit or like you're kind of it's almost like you see halfway and it's scary to think what's seeing everything would look like clearly because you have the lens of like your depression or anxiety and and I think she felt that a lot um because she she also I think she had a really hard time asking for help she was kind of a perfectionist and um she didn't want to not be able to handle everything that she was handling well, she was such a strong woman that, yeah, she probably it, she felt like she had to handle everything with because of mm-hmm. her personality. Right. Right. And like her siblings, they all had their own dynamics and things falling apart with them. And like, well, you know, she can't fall apart because they're falling apart or, you know. Um, and I think also and this is, you know, I don't have proof of this again exactly, but I think if she was like having PTSD from her trauma in her childhood from being sexually abused like why would she want to talk to anyone about that if she felt shame about it Um, and almost like re-traumatizing herself about the situation talking about it probably mm -hmm. yeah and I know she I think she disclosed one of the incidences that happened to her like really towards the end of her life to one of my siblings when she was really not all the way there um but it was like, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. It, it's hard to explain, but towards the end of her life, she really wasn't all there. Um, 
she had a surgery where I think they use some kind of latex to sew something, but we're all allergic to latex. And she's like, I have a feeling we use latex. Um, so I think she was having an actual reaction to it. But then also like the virus that went through her blood and all these things like started um, damaging her brain. I think they, when they did, I don't know if they did a full autopsy or what happened, but they were able to find out that like a certain percent of her, of her brain was like not working anymore. Like she just wasn't there. Um, so yeah, she, she kind of started as, you know, a lot of people do when they're close to like to death is, you know, maybe not having as much of a filter. And, uh, she would share a lot of different things with me and my, her and my dad would fight a lot, like, more in person than I've ever seen if my dad was around like my mom would get really upset and call the cops and want him out of the house or or like you know try to get him out of the house they would just fight and fight where she would take all of us and we'd go stay at some hotel and we would you know go to the the mall uh I have like really strange memories of going to Southtown Mall. It looks different now, which helps, but that was where we would go. <laughs> and uh, I have this very distinct memory of her drawing on a napkin, trying to explain to me why her and my dad are not good for each other. Uh, she drew like a sponge. We were all into SpongeBob at the time, so she was trying to do something to like get us to get me to understand. Um, and she drew a sponge and she drew like different lines of like kind of like absorbing or something. And she said, you know, mom's like a sponge. And when I'm around your dad, I absorb like his bad feelings and his negative things. And so it's it makes mommy feel like more sick. And that's kind of stuck in my brain because I was like trying to figure out how that works, you know, like that works. And as I got older, I, I learned, you know, more about like the dynamics, of course. So it makes more sense now, but as a kid, I was like, interesting. Um, well, I just kind of, just real yeah. quick. Uh, it's interesting because like, she seems like she's super empathetic and then you got your dad. That's the exact opposite. So they like, she's taking in, that's mm-hmm. a really good way to, she put it, that she's taking in all the things that he's putting out and he's not, she can't, reciprocate and she can't yeah and now that i know that he was at risk for going to jail i must have really weighed on him and he was probably coming up with all these ideas and things of like oh it's gonna be fine and it's gonna be, you know that had that to wait so on her stressful oh it had to sure. weigh on her yeah. you know like moving around all the time and like yeah um it was just really hard and she, we, I mean, there's so many occasions where we just like were in hotels, like trying to get away from him or my dad was not home and there'd be like months I didn't talk to him. Like I really didn't have a relationship with him. Like I had certain memories of like when I was maybe three or four of him, you know, dancing to the ending of Anastasia with me or something, but like really didn't have a relationship with him. So like in my mind, I was just like, I don't even really know who he is, but I just know he makes my mom sad. Um, oh, that breaks my heart so, for little baby Shelby. I know, and and I just I just wanted her to be okay, and so I started kind of taking 
more on than I should have. Um, as she got sicker, I would stay home a lot with her. My, you know, the oldest boy in our family would stay a lot with her. Like I like miss school, you know, and we all handled it differently. So, you know, there'd be siblings that would react with anger um, or like lashing out, uh, you know, not necessarily at other siblings, but just like at people at school, you know, or some that would just put it all in like a box in their head and just, just totally check out or some that were just too young. They'd know anything that was going on. And um, so I felt like I kind of had to be like another mom for my younger siblings and I took care of them a lot. Um, and I would take care of her. I would make what I knew how to cook. Like, so she got a lot of peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Um, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, she just got progressively worse. And like, as I kept trying to help her, it seemed like she just didn't get better. And, and I think there was one point towards the end of her life she did get she did go to like a mental hospital like pretty like not too shortly before she ended up dying um and I actually have the papers somewhere I was able to find them and a lot of her the notes from like the doctors and the psychiatrists were like she does not know how she's going to cope with being alone with her children's name uh, when my dad is in prison. Um, so, and like other kind of notes about how they felt like she was hiding other things that she was feeling. Um, they thought she might've been bipolar. There's just a lot of different things. I look at it now and I'm like, Oh, wow. But I mean, it, I don't, it, I really don't know. And I don't really know if they knew, I mean, they were, Back then, like, there wasn't really a lot of knowledge on mental health. There wasn't a lot of knowledge on, oh, let's just give these people all these different medications. We're not going to uh, study how they interact with each other. Um, or if there's a Yeah, it's just talk. a cocktail of this will take mm-hmm. you up, but this will put you down. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. And, I mean, she started getting into holistic health, like, closer to the end of her life. Um, like, we're, you know, the more... I guess you'd call it uh, Eastern medicine type stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, because I actually had a tumor when I was four and they were able to get rid of it with Eastern medicine. So she was like more interested in trying that. Um, and it seems like Eastern medicine is always a little bit gentler to people. Oh, yeah. It's not so like so invasive a lot of times. Which yeah. Can and be I will give my dad credit. Like he did, he would spend his money doing anything and everything to try to help her. And ironically, I think if there, if he was more emotionally in tune with her and they connected that way, that would have helped her more. Um, so uh, anyway, so she was trying really hard to do all the things that the doctors told her to do. She would do all the surgeries. She would do take whatever pills. Um, no idea how they reacted with each other. It's just, I mean, they they kind of failed her, to be honest. Um, and uh, I think it happened to a lot of, they failed a lot of people back then, for sure.